Psychology in Seattle. Hey, deserving listeners. I have an announcement to make. My dog died recently. My beloved Chloe passed away quite suddenly. And I hadn't planned, I didn't plan on talking about it on the podcast. But then I sat down to record an episode just now. And it was going to be about different emails and whatnot. And I very quickly, somehow, my brain just routed to Chloe and her death and the feelings that I have about it. So I, I, so it, I, so I started the episode talking about body dysmorphia and then uh, somehow within, I don't know, just a couple of minutes, I ended up where I'm talking about Chloe. And at first I thought, what are you doing? Like, this isn't, a place for you're supposed to be talking about body dysmorphic disorder. Why are you talking about Chloe? And then once I started getting into it, I, I just thought, I, I don't want to stop. I, I want to keep talking about it. And I know enough about grief and about human emotion to know that you should go with, you should go with your grief when it happens. You shouldn't suppress it. And there's, there's really, very few venues that are quote unquote appropriate for processing one's grief. And we need much more venues than are culturally appropriate. So I I decided in my head, I was like, well, I I think I need this and maybe the listeners will want to hear about it. I don't know, but I know I need it. So I just kept going. So I'm going to play that episode. It starts out different than I start out talking about something other than grief and and my dog that died. So let's just go to that right now. This is the Psychology of Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and I am also a professor and I am also someone who enjoys looking out windows at trees. I've I, I grew up looking out windows at trees. I my house in Issaquah, Sammamish was surrounded by trees you could barely see other houses even though we lived on kind of a small lot they just they built houses back then you know they just sort of cleared out as many trees as was necessary and then they just built a house there and so even though we were on kind of a small lot like we were just you know engulfed in trees and there was also kind of this green this green belt behind my house that me and my friends played in all the time and ever since then i have found that I just love looking out windows at trees and bushes and greenery. And right now it's just this really typical Seattle spring afternoon where it's uh, completely overcast. You can't see any distinction of the clouds. It's just this, you know, white gray uh, wash and there's a slight breeze and you see all these pine trees and spruces and cedars. They're all just kind of, looking like they're happy in this moist environment. And um, yeah, also I talked on Discord about how my dog passed away. Actually, I I keep trying to figure out a good time to announce it to everybody on the podcast because I know how much everyone loves animals on this podcast. And so 
I, when I look outside in my backyard, I think of I think of my puppy and how she loved being out there, and how often I was letting her out and letting her back in. And we didn't have a doggy door because the cat probably wouldn't survive. She, my cat, actually got out once many years ago, and I think got attacked or got. Let's just say my cat probably instigated the fight with a raccoon, but then didn't finish it the way the raccoon did. And my cat had this um, puncture in the side of her and I tried to, you know, help her to clean it. But eventually it got, the hole got bigger and bigger and you could sort of see inside of her guts. And so I took her to the hospital and they sewed it up and they put one of those cones on her. But anyway, so we didn't have a dog. Anyway, my point is, is when I look outside, I think of my dog, um, Maybe this will be the only place that I actually talk about this. Um, But my dog had this seizure disorder for many, many years. Went to the vet probably every couple months, different treatments, different ideas, different diets, you know, just everything, tried everything. I mean, you think seizure disorder, five, six years, dozens of vet, you know, visits, several different vets. Um, and nothing really worked. It's some things seem to kind of work at times, but looking back, it's possible that none of it worked at all. And we took her to the hospital, me and my wife, Stacy, because she was having seizures. So she would have seizures every month. It was like this monthly cycle and she would have like several seizures, like 15 in the span of a, of a couple of days. And it's pretty, it was violent seizures. It was um, brutal to watch. But afterwards, she'd bounce back and everything was fine. I mean, she'd have some kind of residual slight personality changes, but for the most part, everything was fine. She, you know, 95% of the time, she was this happy-go-lucky, relaxed, calm, loving dog. And then there were these, you know, once a month, there was this intense, hor- horrific um, thing that that she would go through and all of us would go through it with her. And then she, um, one night a few weeks ago, she has this, uh, uh, series of seizures that last or that, that, that are right after one, right after the other. So usually she would have a seizure and then like maybe a couple hours later, she'd have another one or maybe an hour later at the, at the soonest. But this time she had seizures, with she it's like they never stopped they you know she would have a seizure she would sort of calm down she wasn't fully out of it and she'd have another one and it she had like six in a row or something like that so we took her to the hospital that night uh, early in the morning actually and they put her on some drugs and that seemed to help um and so but but we'd take we'd taken her to the ER many many times you know probably 10 20 times so it was just a you know a routine thing. And I, I had, and she seemed so young. She was eight or nine, 10, I think nine. And she just seemed when she wasn't going through these seizures, she just seemed so um, healthy and there was nothing else wrong with her. It was just this one thing, you know, all the other blood work and tests and MRIs and everything, everything looked good except for this one thing. And so when we took her to the ER, it was like, okay, well, this sucks, but you know, they'll monitor her, they'll do what they do, and then we'll get her back and everything will be fine. And we'll just go back to our lives. Well, 
they wanted to keep her more than one night because she was not recovering as fast as she usually did. So that was a little unusual. But again, I didn't, I wasn't worried. I just, you know, she'll be back. And then they called us and said that she had died. Like they had gone to check on her and she was dead and she wasn't breathing. They did out, they tried to resuscitate her and didn't work. So they don't really know exactly what happened. And, you know, the first thought goes through my mind of just like, well, why the fuck weren't you paying attention? What do you mean when you went to check on her? So that implies that you, you didn't know what was happening. You know, you didn't, you weren't watching, you didn't have some kind of monitor or, you know, I don't know how vets work. Maybe some of you out there are vets. I don't know. I mean, I get it. It's like, you can't, there's only so much you can do. And if it was a human, then yeah, you spend tens of thousands of dollars to have round the clock monitoring, heart monitoring, breathing monitoring. And, you know, vets just aren't really, the the expectation is you're not going to spend, you know, $200,000 for a hospital visit for your dog. So, you know, there's only so much resources that they have. I get that. But so that was just my first reaction. And um, well, my first reaction was just shock. I just, I mean, it, it was, I, I mean, to have someone just ripped away from you like that, you know, just to have a, this, you know, loved one, just boom, just gone. Like what? And, and to be in the hospital too, you know, you're, you trust the medical system to, to, I don't know. It's irrational to think that they're gods or something, but I don't know. It just seemed, it was so, it just didn't compute in my head. I just couldn't, me and Stacy, we just sat there and cried and just couldn't, couldn't take it. It was just, how did this happen? You know? And so, um, yeah, it's the worst. There's, it's a process. I'll always think about her. I, um, I talked about it on discord the other day. So some of you might remember it from there. Um, and yeah, I, I, I had a lot of thoughts about like, okay, how do I tell the listeners <laughs> about this? Because I, I know a lot of, a lot of you care and I know some of you really care about just animals in general. And I do too. Um, you know, I, I'm one of those, you know, people who considers pets to be absolutely a part of the family. It really shocks me actually when some people email me and say like, you know, is it nor like someone on the discord of, you know, chat said, is it normal to be, is it, is it okay? Or I don't know, is it, are pets considered an attachment figure? And I just find that question to just point to the fact that we have a culture that sees humans as like something separate from animals. But, you know, of course we are animals. Um, you know, none of us really question when you see like a, like a cat that takes in a monkey or something or a, a rabbit and a squirrel become friends. Well, I, because th- they're both animals to us. They're both furry, but we're the same and if you look really closely at our skin, we're covered in fur too, by the way. That's one benefit about being nearsighted is 
Um, I'm so nearsighted that I can actually, if I take my contacts out or I'm not wearing my glasses, I can see like microscopic level on people's, you know, skin. And, and you realize like it's a whole world down there. And uh, there's all these little hairs, all even on the quote unquote non hairy parts. Anyway, my point is, is that my dog died and it's sad and it's going to be a long time of recovery. I um, actually just went to the hospital today and picked up her ashes. Um, some of you know I had a cat that also died a year ago. Um, that one wasn't a shocker because I had I had put him down. I had decided, I had made that call because he was dying. And I also thought he was dying like four years prior. So I, I had prepared mentally at least to the best you can. It was still rough, man, when my cat died. Um, but this one was just like, it was, I've never, I don't think I've ever been through something like that before where it's just like, boom, you know, some, imagine just someone calls you and be, and it's just like, so, so-and-so is dead. And I, and you had n- none of your brain even thought that it was possible that this would happen. Uh, I've just never had that happen to me before, luckily. And it, it was um, it was really um, just I I just kept saying the word no. I was like no 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 no, and. Later, looking back, I thought, oh, that's what the movies, you know, like when Darth Vader learns about Padme being dead. No, it, I, I thought, oh, it's, you know, it's sort of a funny movie trope that they do. But actually, I wonder if that's a thing that we do as humans. We're, it's just so shocking and awful that we, we just can't take it. You know, we're just like, no, this, this can't be, this, this can't be happening to me. And that's what happened to me. Um, and then it switched after all I could say was no, I don't know, for what seemed like half an hour or something. And then after that, it was something like, what? I just kept, I just remember just saying, what? Like how? It Because my brain, it would just, it couldn't, it just made no sense, you know. And as someone who has studied grief and... Uh, therapizes people on grief. It helps a little bit, you know, because those thoughts pop into your head of, of like, um, you know, what was my last interaction with her? Was it, was it good? Um, was I being dismissive? Was I kind of blowing her off the last time we had a chance to interact, me and the dog? Could I have done more? Should I have done more? Should, should I have paid more for this service or this medical treatment? Or should I have tried this one wackadoo thing that this one person said uh, wasn't a vet, you know, some, some weird alternative medicine thing that I should have tried? Um, would she still be alive if, you know, th- this and that? It, it, your, your brain naturally goes there, and that's fine, but I didn't dwell on it too much because I just reminded myself, oh, yeah, that's, that's what you do during grief. You know, someone's gone and you're trying to figure out an answer to it. You're trying to get control of it, but there's just no control. And, you know, it'd be nice if we did, but we don't. 
It also just sucks that pets die so quick. I mean, we all know it intellectually, right? Dogs and cats, they last, you know, 10, 15 years. I once had a cat that lived 27 years. I remember everyone just being like, holy mackerel. And, and you know, her last 10 years weren't comfortable. She could barely move. She couldn't hear or, or talk or... Uh, you know, she couldn't hear or see. She could talk. My God, when she would meow, it was so loud because she couldn't hear herself. Her The volume of her meow just got louder. And she only got up one time a day because she, she was so arthritic. And, and she would eat, and then she'd go to the bathroom, and then she'd go right back to her spot. Anyway, my point is, is that it's this really sad thing that our um, pets die you know, I, I wonder if parrot, because don't parrots live like a long time, right? Don't macaws live like 80 years or something? I wonder if it's different for them because they live like as long as humans do, or at least from my memory. But yeah, I mean, cats and dogs, they, they just, we, they die. So, you know, you fall in love with them, you bring them into your house and you think, okay, you're a family member. You're a fixture in my life. You're part of my life. You're part of this household. And then they just, they're just gone. And, you know, humans, it's also equally as hor- horrible to lose a human, right? Um, more so for many people, uh, which is also its own bizarre thing to think that, you know, someone close to you dies. It's just like they're just gone, you know? Now, some of you believe in an afterlife, some of you don't. Um, so, you know, there's that. Uh, but at the very least, they're not on this planet anymore. They're not on this plane in this existential realm. And I don't know, I'm rambling. But So when I look outside and I see the the trees and the green and the, I, I, it's it's weird not to see the dog out there. It's weird not to think about, where's the dog? Uh, does she want to go outside? Is she, is she outside? Is she trying to dig underneath the fence? Should I go out there and see? Is she barking at the chickens next door? You know, what's happening with the dog? That, there's us, you're just always, you know, I, I work a lot from home, and so it's kind of often just me and the dog and the cat. <laughs> but the dog is so much more active than the cat is, frankly. And... So for me, the dog was just this, you know, just such a part of my life. And just to have her gone is just, it's so weird. It's so quiet and empty. Um, and, um, and bizarre. Like, I got her ashes today and I put it on the mantle of the fireplace and that's now where she is. I put her next to my cat you know, the two little boxes of ashes. By the way, veterinarians really know how to um, make it nice for pet owners when their pets die. Like bo- both, I-, I didn't realize this until I, so I had my, I had to put down my cat about a year ago at a different vet. It's my regular vet. And then the ER vet were the ones who dealt with the ashes and it's the same, it must be the same company because the box, the little box that the ashes come in, it looks exactly the same. And they also do that little paw print thing into a, 
you know, a uh, little plaster thing. They put, you know, they do a little paw impression and they send that along with it. And uh, I think that, what, because growing up in the 70s and 80s, um, I'm guessing even, I don't, I don't think that this practice of even cremating your pets was even common until fairly recently. But the whole thing around it is, I think, pretty um, recent. I mean, when I grew up in the 70s and 80s, like, like, I'm, you know, I'm trying to think what we did with our animals. I, I, I think they, I think a lot of our animals just sort of went off into the woods and died somewhere and like we never found them. <laughs> I mean, that's what happened to my dog when I was a kid, as far as we know, or the dog was eaten by coyotes, which, you know, could have happened as well. Coyotes, coyotes, I'm not sure. Um, and uh, anyway, so I I really appreciate the, I mean, it, you know, they're doing the best they can, again, with a budget, right? So, but I like the little box with, they put a little name plaque on there and um, it's it's very tasteful and um, and the little paw print thing is adorable. And, you know, there's something about a paw print, you know, there's something about a hand print. You realize like how much of our soul is in our hands, in our paws. And to see a paw print on a little plaster thing is, especially when you think about the paw print was made after the, after she had died. Right. So they made the paw print from her body, her dead body. So, yeah. Um, so when I look outside and I think about that and I'm sitting here in the house by myself and it's, oh my God, it was so weird. So I'm looking outside at this bush and I see something and I think it's the dog, but it's this branch. Um, I was like, oh my, you know, there's that split second of thought like oh there's the dog and then a really quick split second after that of like oh she's alive the the doctors were wrong and then a split second after that of like no she's gone she's not here anymore um so yeah what else can i say about it i know a lot of you have lost your own animals and your own people and we don't take care of ourselves or each other enough on this. Um, you might have lost a pet 10 years ago. I mean, I, I still cry about my dog that I lost when I was around 20. Um, she came into our family when I was seven. And, you know, when you're seven years old, man, you and a dog, it's just like, and there was something about me and dogs growing up. I remember my family really realizing we had a we had a giant German shepherd when I was a, a very young child. And there's pictures of me as like a, you know, twelve month old, like cuddling with a German shepherd puppy, naked, by the way. <laughs> I'm naked, by the way. It was the seventies, you know. Um and uh uh I um I don't know. Anyway, so so my dog, what, the one I really bonded with, bonded with as a young person and as a teenager, um, 
when, you know, she died when I was around 20. What, what was I bringing that up for? <laughs> oh, I still will cry about that, you know, because she was such a sweet little dog. She was a German um, schnauzer, a miniature schnauzer, like a little terrier. The ones that have the beards, they're, they're gray. Um, such a smart dog. So smart. I mean, you, I swear to God, she understood English. It was, she, she literally did one of those things where my little brother went wandering off at the age of, you know, one and a half or something, two years old in, in the, you know, in the woods somewhere or something. And our dog, Pfeffer, which is German for pepper, apparently, she came running up to my mom and started barking, you know, and my mom was like, huh, she doesn't normally bark in this way. So that's curious. But my mom just ignores it. And then the Pfeffer, you know, comes up and barks and then turns around and says, you know, let's go. And then my mom's like, what are you doing? And then the dog comes up, barks, and then turns around and says, okay, let's go. <laughs> and then my mom's like, I think, I think Pfeffer is trying to lead me somewhere, which is weird. And so she's like, okay, fine. So she kind of follows, and the dog, you know, runs off. She follows the dog. And then my little brother, two-year-old, is just waddling, you know, somewhere. And, um, I mean, talk about a smart dog, you know? Like, um, uh, you know, bigger human who seems to be kind of like the mother, uh, little human <laughs> uh, shouldn't be over here, I'm pretty sure. So I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to have to tell you and you don't understand dog language, so I'm I'm gonna have to pantomime this out for you. <laughs> uh, yeah, she was a great dog, and Chloe, you know, so that my recent dog Chloe, she um, she she was smart in her own way too, um, not in that sort of way, um, but um, I don't know. She seemed to kind of understand English too sometimes. <laughs> So now it's just me and the cat, um, Michelle. She um, seems healthy. She's about 12 and has never had a medical problem except for being in a fight with a raccoon and having a hole in her side. She bounced back from that pretty good. So where was I going with this? Um, Oh, yeah. So... What I was getting at was that we're all suffering from grief that we've experienced throughout our entire life. So I, I consider life as we age to be in part an, accu- an accumulation of grief. If you're you know, 25 years old, you probably have one or two major losses that you're probably currently grieving ongoing. And by the time you're 80, you have like 30, 40, 50 losses that you're grieving. The grief never ends. We have what we call acute grief, like me saying no, 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 over and over and over again and crying and being upset. But the loss and the feelings about that loss never end the waves of emotion that happen, the wishing that they were there, the regret, the anger, the quote-unquote lack of acceptance, 
the growth, the meaning, the appreciation, the reminiscing, the wanting to talk about it. That never ends. You talk to an 80-year-old person about their sister who died when they were 12. They talk about it like it was yesterday. That's what life is. That's who we are. That's human. And we should allow ourselves that. So I connect with your loss, listener out there. You undoubtedly have gone through losses. Even if you're quite young, you lost your favorite teacher, meaning that you had a favorite teacher and then you went on to a different grade and you weren't with that teacher anymore. Now you're with a different teacher. You lost that person. You lost a babysitter. The babysitter moved out of town or you grew up and didn't get a babysitter anymore. You were, you were dumped in the eighth grade by someone that you only went out with for three weeks, but it was devastating to you. These are losses that are in our bones. They're etched in our bones. We can't deny that. They're there, and that's fine. And as Americans, as Westerners, we're like, oh, let's be happy, and let's not look on the downside of things. Let's let's be happy, and okay, there's there's a value in that at times, but Let's also not deny reality and our humanness and what's really happening. So I, so I connect right now with all of your losses out there. We're all grieving something together. Some of you might be grieving the loss of my dog. <laughs> um, and I am with you on that. We're all in that together. It, it's sad it's the worst. I wish that we could have everyone live forever. Honestly, you know, some people say like, well, do you really want that? And I'm like, yeah, I I really would. I really, really wish no one ever died, including the animals that are close to me. I wish we all just could live forever in some sort of weird, you know, long lasting, everlasting paradise. I do. I do wish that. And uh, you know, I, I'm not going to trick myself or comply with reality in terms of um, my my desires in that way. So it's sad. It's it's terrible. It also makes you question your own death, right? You think, well, my dad, my dog died, my cat died, my father died, my sister died, or whatever, and you think, well, when am I going to go? And what does that mean? And what am I doing here? And have I done everything that I wanted to do? Am I wasting my time? Should I be doing something else? Why am I doing this that I'm doing? You know, when I'm about to die and I look back, is this what I want to see? When my parents die, Will I regret not having said something? When, when, my, when my cat dies, will I regret not having done something for her or played with her more often? These are important questions, and there's no right answer. And 
we don't want to go down a road of beating ourselves up in guilt and shame. But we do want to acknowledge death is a part of life and we're here right now. What are we going to do? This is the existential question. It's not, you know, people sometimes think that the existentialists in therapy were about acknowledging and accepting the depressing fact that we're all going to die. And that's actually totally not true. The existentialists were saying, yes, you have to acknowledge because we all know we're going to die. It's not, it's not nothing strange to say, yes, you have to acknowledge you're going to die because that's just reality. But what does that mean for you right now? What are you going to do right now? You are responsible for right now. And what are you going to do? Um, It doesn't mean you have to do anything, but it does mean you're responsible for that choice. So uh, anyway, I, I, you know, a lot of you email me about different losses and whatnot, and I, I feel it. And the more I study this, the more I help people, the more I experience loss myself, the more I feel like I can empathize with other people's losses when, when, you know, when, when they're someone, you know, like at work, uh, you know, I work at the university with a lot of people. So inevitably someone had someone die close to them recently. And I, I, in meetings, someone will, you know, come back from, from time off work and they'll be like, yeah, so I took the past couple of weeks off because my father died or my ex-husband died. The father of my children died or something or my dog died. And it just hits me to the core. It it's, I, I, I can't function in that meeting, you know, in, nor, in a normal way. And uh, in the cold professional way, I, I suppose that we're normally expected to be like. And I I really just really feel f- those situations because one, I know how it feels. Two, I don't want to be one of those people that just sort of blows it off and, so, and, and it's like, oh, okay, well, I went skiing this weekend. You know, it's like when someone's going through something like that, it's it's intense. And to just act like it's not the other thing the third thing is that if i'm not on this planet if i'm on this planet to to do anything it's to pay attention to what's happening and when people tell me about those things what's happening is they're telling me about something that's quite intense it'd be like if you know i'm looking out the window and the space needle falls over and i just say ho-hum or Huh, I wonder what's on Netflix. That'd be silly, right? Well, that's the same. When some when I'm in a work meeting and there's 20 people sitting around a boardroom table and someone tells me that their dog died, for me to just move on with my life after them telling me that is like seeing the space needle fall over and moving on with life like nothing happened. It's a big deal. And for myself, when I go through losses and when I can tell certain, certain people, there's, there's a number of different reactions, you know, that I'll see. Um, I haven't been through a lot of losses, so I don't have a lot of experience with this, but from all the different um, interactions I've had with myself and other people having lo- lost uh, 
lost something, you, you, you notice different categories of reaction. Uh, one reaction, everyone cares, by the way, so it's not like no one cares, but some people come across like they don't care. They're just like, huh. And I think a lot of it has to do with one, they don't know what to do. They're just afraid of what they're supposed to say. And they don't have a template because our culture doesn't provide any. Uh, two, they probably have done some things in the past, but they got burnt in some way. And, and so now they're just avoiding it. Um, and three, our culture, again, as I've been saying, teaches us that grief is something to be ignored that it's, or that it's not a big deal or that you're supposed to let it go and move on. And so you get that reaction of just like sort of a non-reaction. You get another reaction of people who are just, they're trying to do something, but they're super awkward about it. And you can tell that they're um, thinking too hard about how they're responding you know, they're, they're think you can tell that the gears are turning their head like, okay, what is the thing I'm supposed to be doing right now? And they're putting a lot of effort into it and it's not going well, but it's, you know, it's appreciated that they're putting effort into it. And the third reaction that I enjoy is you just, you, you try to empathize as best you can and you just act normally, authentically. You might even say something like, oh my God, I don't know what to say. Or, and or, oh my God, I, I want to say something to make you feel better, but that's stupid, so I, I just don't know what to do. That's a lot better than, you know, hopes and prayers or awkwardly saying my thoughts are with you or something. Like, um, now, my thoughts are with you and hopes and prayers are fine, but if if that's all you're doing and if it's done in a anxious way you know i i think some people are like oh okay this the how do i avoid getting in trouble here my coworker just told me that their husband died what's the appropriate response you know what's the what's the response that won't hurt their feelings what's the response that will um not be labeled as something bad and that to me is, um, you know, imagine you approached all life like that. Like your, um, your feet, you know, your boyfriend gets down on his knee and proposes to you and you, and you just try to say the thing that is, um, the least offensive, <laughs> you know, um, no, you want to be in the moment. Your boyfriend is getting down on his knee to ask you to to marry him, and if you're into it, you wanna you wanna live in that moment. You wanna let it happen. You wanna just hand yourself over to your emotions and and cry and be happy and hug each other and you know talk all night about the wedding plans. That's that's the response. And so when someone at work says, "My husband died," you know, don't try not to think too much about it. Just just be, be with that person. Sometimes it just being quiet, you know, just being like, oh my God, I, I'm so sorry that I, I don't know what to say. And then for five minutes, you don't say anything. I don't know. The point is, is there's not a prescription. The thing is, is just be from your heart, whatever that is, whatever your heart 
does when you're sad for someone. Now, some people have been taught never to tend to other people. Um, some, sometimes we associate with this with men, but I know a lot of women that are like this too, where we've just learned through our lifetime that we're supposed to have boundaries, you know, have boundaries, too much information. And we don't have a protocol for caring for someone in a situation like that. We don't know what to do. Some people do. Some people are really great with that, you know, Oh my God. And they, you know, they, they're very authentic. They might be very loud, but you know, they're, they're there and other people just, they shut down because they don't know what to do. And so you might want to take some time and think about like how you want to do it or look to a role model and say, okay, how do they do that? And how can I do that? And it might feel weird at first, it might feel weird the first couple times you do it. It did to me. I was taught that growing up by my society I'm a man. I'm not responsible for other people's problems. That's women's work. I'm a man. I'm, I don't care about loss. I, I don't care about sadness. I'm a man now. I don't cry. You know, I, if there's a woman in the room, she'll take care of it. She'll, she'll tend to the emotional needs. It's all fucking bullshit. So, so destructive. Not only to people other than me, but to me too. I mean, there is a glory and a human meaning wonderfulness that emerges when I care about someone else and exhibit that caring. That's why I love being a therapist so much is it takes almost no effort, you know, in terms of like, there's effort like digging a ditch. There's effort like running a marathon. That's effort. Someone's saying to me that, they, that their husband died and me tearing up a little bit and just sitting in silence with them, even though we're at a work meeting and I don't, and I don't know what to say. And it's a little awkward. That doesn't take any effort from me. That's just, that's just me connecting with the human side of me that was, um, that was suppressed by societal messages. I just had to reconnect with that. All of us have that in us. And some of you are very connected with that. Some of you aren't. It's just a matter of connecting those neurons again. There, it's there. That empathy is there and that naturalness is there. So anyway, I connect with all of our losses right now. I just think about the sadness that we've been through. And we're in this together. There we we go on with life and we remember them and we honor them that's what they would want us to do and that you know makes me really sad to think about what my dog chloe would want me to be doing right now you know i don't know <laughs> i don't know if my dog thought much about that sort of thing <laughs> I think I think deep down my dog cared. She seemed like a very caring person. Um, but you know, particularly humans that we interacted with, we can probably take a guess as to what they would want us to be doing. They had the cognitive ability to have wishes and desires for us, and what would they want us to be doing? They'd probably want us to remember them. They'd probably want us to be sad that they're gone. 
and they'd probably want us to recognize how important and how precious life is and how important it is to live it and how important it is to care about other people and how relationships matter more than anything and how worrying about taxes or um you know what your hair looks like this day or you know the the acne that you have or the extra fat cells on your body worrying about that stuff i'm pretty sure those who are gone it when and if they could talk to us they would say that's not what life is it's important to pay attention to what really matters and what we will value in the end and how bogged fucking down we get in the dumbest things as human beings it's this curse we all have I can't believe I said that last night. What a dumb thing to say. I need better clothes. I need a better house. I need a better car. I need better hair. I need a better computer. I need a better phone. I need a better this or that. I need to be funnier. I need to be smarter. I need a better job. Um, it's... It's really a curse. And some of you have managed to um, subvert that and overcome that. And some of you are still on your way. But that's the goal, is overcoming that and as often as we can and connecting with what the meaning of life really is, which is up to you. Um, everyone has their own meaning the real meaning of life tends to be similar across different humans, but you know, every human has their own, particularly as it manifests specifically, you know, like general things are like, well, I think the meaning of life is not to get bogged down in the silly stuff, not the sweat, the small stuff, as they say. But, you know, I've worked with a lot of clients on the meaning of life. And sometimes, you know, you'll find some really interesting conclusions that people come to, you know, some people will be like, well, to me, I need to stop focusing on my career so much. Career, it's fine. It makes me feel good to achieve things. And it, you know, but really it's just a thing to do to make me money. And so I think I'm going to scale back at work. I'll probably get dinged by my boss and other people, but I, I, I'm going to die one day. I don't really care what my boss thinks of me. I'd much rather have time to spend with my family or do these other hobbies I want to do. So you hear that. And then some people will say like, well, I think the meaning of my life is to pursue this small business idea I had. So there's just a lot of different things or the meaning of life. I need, I, I want to reach out to my old friends and, and have a more ongoing relationship with them rather than once a year. I, I'm going to, dedicate myself to making the effort to reach out and invite them to things and hang out with them more often. You know, there's just a lot of different things people will come to. So it's really up to all of us to figure out what that is. And, you know, that's the gift that death gives us. That's the death that Chloe gave me is a reminder of, of all that. Now that doesn't by any means outweigh the pain of the loss and the tragedy of the loss and the emptiness. But it's something. And if Chloe 
were to talk, I'd like to think that that's what she would want me to be thinking about. All right, well, that does it for that episode. Take care of yourself because you deserve it. You really, really, really do. You know that. (laughs) Thank you.